All right, good morning. We're going to go ahead and begin. We may have some others join us here in a minute. But um, a couple of announcements today. Uh, there is a baby shower for Ellen Waddell at, from 1 to 3 in the gathering room. Ellen is registered at, at it's, this says at Bye Bye Baby. Is that a place? Okay. Okay. Ellen is registered at Bye Bye Baby in Target. Although the shower is, at, is today from 1 to 3. So if you haven't shopped yet, you might be too late. Maybe not. Maybe you can do that after the fact. Also, uh, the OC Children's Ministry has an immediate need for an admin assistant, which is approximately 24 hours per week. Uh, that would be responsible for communicating with volunteers, parents, guests, staff, and providing various administrative assistance to the Children's Ministry team. You can contact Melanie at ottercreek.org if you're interested. And then uh, I don't have any um, prayer, prayer concerns listed on the page, but we will go ahead and begin with a prayer in any case, and then uh, Dan is going to jump into our first um, gift. If, if you're new, I know some of you probably, this might be your first time in the class, and so, which is fine. We've only been together three weeks, today is week four, and so the first three weeks were really kind of an introduction to the idea of spiritual gifts, and so we've kind of done um, a little digging into um, scripture and just talking about um, giftedness. And today we're going to start uh, looking at some specific gifts, and uh, and then next week we're going to follow this conversation up with uh, bringing in some guests that will talk about ministries that employ the gifts that we discussed today. If that makes sense. Okay. All right. Well, let me pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the early indications of spring. We're reminded that you are the giver of life and uh, that everything has a rhythm. And even when we're sometimes surprised by uh, the, the early warm in the year, uh, we remember that you have a plan for all things. And that as the leaves sprout on the tree and as the flowers come up through the earth, uh, even in those things, we remember that you are the God of life and that you are doing a new thing among us uh, today. Father, I pray that you would help us see our place in your kingdom. I, hope, I pray that, um, that you would uh, help us navigate the, the waters of figuring out our, our calling and our vocation and uh, our aptitudes. But Father, I pray that you would just tune our hearts into where we might engage and work for you. That's really the, the ultimate goal that we have in our hearts is to figure out uh, where we can be of service to you and your kingdom uh, to give you glory. And so we ask that you would be here uh, in our presence as we uh, discuss these gifts this morning. Help us see um, where, where we might align with, with these gifts. Help us see where we need to rely on others uh, to support us in these gifts. Uh, but in all things, Father, help us to see how we can glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have to show me how to yep. do that. Oh, I can just sit over here. Remember, I don't do technology. I'm going to scoot this back a little bit. Oh, are you going to do it for me? Yeah, That'd be good. I feel like I'm way up front. It's going. Okay. I thought I would 
time myself, but all right, I'll fix that in my way. All right, we're going to jump right in because I want to make sure I leave Kent time to speak. <clears throat> but I'm going to start off with intercession today. And I'm just curious to see if you've taken the inventory, if you scored high on that, in, on that spiritual gift. Like maybe it's in your top three. Have any of you taken it? Was intercession in your top three? Anybody? Wow. I happened to scan the results, and I knew that no one in the room had a... Oh, wow. <laughs> we, got, we got stuff to work on the end. Deanna's the only one that scored really high. Wow. That's why I let you go first. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. No, no, no. And that's one thing I was going to say is I am not an expert in this. I'm going to share with you all my experience and how the Spirit has worked on me with this gift. But this was actually my second one, my second highest. I scored second highest on it, which surprised me a little bit. But <clears throat> as I started thinking through it, it, it did make more sense just because sort of the stage of life I'm in. And I think it's kind of like the Myers-Briggs. Maybe I have no scientific evidence for this. But I think it can change over time depending on what your season is. Your, your bottom ones are probably going to stay your bottom ones, but those mid to upper ones, I think, can change as the spirit kind of works on you and hones those gifts. So anyway, it kind of made more sense to me after I thought about it a little bit. But the first thing I want to share with you all is this acronym. You all may have seen it before. If you have, um, great. But this is something that I use to kind of focus my prayer life. <coughs> Acts and what it stands for A is adoration, C is confession, T is thanksgiving, and S is supplication. And it's just a method by which you can um, focus your prayers. You begin with prayers of adoration, then you go into prayers of confession, thanksgiving, and then lastly, supplication. That's where the intercession comes in, is the supplication part. Um, I feel like, can y'all see? Okay, I feel like I'm right in the middle. So anyway, this has really helped me in my prayer life. <clears throat> so let's define intercession. And if you all have comments or questions, stop me, because I don't, it's easy for me to stand up here and, and talk the whole time, but stop me if you, you need to. <clears throat> intercession is the God-given ability to consistently pray on behalf of and for others, seeing frequent and specific results. The more I started reading about intercession, I read several different definitions, and there was a theme that kept recurring. And that theme was, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I may have to stop and get water in a minute, but it is not an ordinary prayer. I think God hears our ordinary prayers, but this is more of a prayer of pleading, thank you, pleading with God. It's a pleading with God for his will to be done. It doesn't give up, it's persistent. And then the second thing that I kept reading over and over again, which we'll see in scripture in a minute, is <clears throat> it's a powerful weapon of spiritual warfare coming boldly into the presence of God. So the first scripture I want us to look up, and we're not going to read this whole passage just because of time, but it's the Ephesians 6 passage that talks about the armor of God. And as I started reading some of these passages, we're going to to look up, a lot of them are written by Paul. And it seems that intercession was a really important part of Paul's faith. He emphasizes it over and over again. He talks about prayer a lot, praying for the saints. 
So it is a recurring theme in his, in his writings. But <clears throat> Ephesians 6.10, he talks about being strong in the Lord and in his power, putting on the full armor of God so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world. You hear the spiritual warfare um, theme going on. And then he starts describing the full armor of God. The uh, belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, then the gospel of peace, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And after he says all these things, he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and prayers and requests. And I just found that so interesting that he, he talks about spiritual warfare, then he talks about the armor, and he ends with saying to pray in the spirit on all occasions. And with, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So I just thought that was a, a great picture of that. If someone could look up 1 Timothy 2.12, no, 2, 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. And then Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And then Colossians 4, 12. And when whoever gets the first Timothy, just go ahead and read that. Therefore I exhort all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks may be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may be led, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. So he talks about prayers and intercession at the beginning <clears throat> so that we may live peaceful, quiet lives that are godly and holy. Uh, what about the Colossians 1, 9, and 9 through 12? For this, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and, walk, uh, you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. No, nine through twelve. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing knowledge of God, strengthening with power according to his glorious might. The attaining of steadfastness and patience toward us, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he starts that off saying we haven't stopped praying, and then he lists all these things that he's been praying for for them, <clears throat> talking about God's will, that they would know his will. But the Colossians 4.12 is one verse that I had never noticed before until this week. So who has that? To the Pampras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I think it's helpful to know, and again, I've said this before, I'm not a Bible scholar, but the way I understand it is Colossians was written to the church at Colossae. Is that how you say that? There was a lot of heresy going on there. And this saint the servant of Christ Jesus, Epaphras, is wrestling in prayer for these people so that they may stand firm in the will of God. Again, that will of God thing comes back also. So I think that makes it more meaningful that there were people there praying for these people that were being exposed to heresy and heresy was going on. 
Did you put those? Yeah. These last three, we probably won't, we won't read. I'll just kind of give you a snapshot. The Luke 18 one is Jesus telling his disciples to pray, basically not give up in that praying. And in the last two, the Romans and the Hebrews passage, I think are just, they're beautiful. Um, it's talking about the spirit interceding on our behalf. We're not alone. There's someone interceding for us <clears throat> as we are interceding for others. Do y'all have any comments on these passages or? Is interceding always for on behalf of someone else? That's not the way I have understood it in my reading. We can intercede on behalf of ourselves, approaching God boldly. Is that the way you understand it? <laughs> I, I think that's I think possible. you can yeah, intercede I think, on ourselves. I think yeah, typically we think of it as praying on behalf of others, right. but I think you could. You, I, mean, I think you could go to God on behalf of yourself. I just kind of thought, I've been reading some other things that, um, one in particular that he, he just kept repeating to himself as kind of a memoir that Jesus had said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And just tying it together with what he said about the verse that says, um, in your prayer life, the Spirit is interceding right. with you. we don't know what to pray for, we don't know what to say, he's there interceding, which is extremely comforting for me. Let's look at some characteristics of people that have this gift. And if you've taken it, think about these gifts. If it did, I mean, think about these attributes. And if you didn't take it, think about these attributes. And if these describe you, that may be a <coughs> gift that you have you don't even know you have. Um, People with the gift of intercession are an advocate, they're sincere, trustworthy, burden bearer, spiritually sensitive. I don't meet all of these, but you know, it, it, it does describe me somewhat, some of those. Um, I found a quote. Most of you have probably heard of Oswald Chambers. He was an author in the 1800s. He actually died in the early 1900s at a fairly young age. The way I understand it is his works didn't become really popular till after his death. But I found this excerpt and I could not figure out if he actually wrote it or someone else wrote it, but the website is called utmost.com and I believe it's sort of based on his book, My Utmost for His Highest, if you've read that. But lo and behold, the title of the excerpt is called Intercessory Prayer. And I started reading, and I thought, what a beautiful way to describe this. So I'm going to read this um, to you all, and then if you have some comments, and then I have one other story to tell. It says, you cannot truly intercede through prayer if you do not believe in the reality of redemption. Instead, you will simply be turning intercession into useless sympathy for others, which will serve only to increase the contentment they have for remaining out of touch with God. True intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude toward that person or circumstance. Intercession means to fill up with what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. And this is precisely why there are so few intercessors. People describe intercession by saying it's putting yourself in someone else's place, but that is not true. 
Intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective. As an intercessor, be careful not to seek too much information from God regarding the situation you are praying about because you may be overwhelmed. If you know too much, more than God has ordained for you to know, you can't pray. The circumstances of the people become so overpowering that you're no longer able to get to the underlying truth. Our work is to be in such close contact with God that we may have his mind about everything, but we shirk that responsibility by substituting doing for interceding. And yet intercession is the only thing that has no drawbacks because it keeps our relationship completely open with God. What we must avoid in intercession is praying for someone to be simply patched up. We must pray that person completely through into contact with the very life of God. <clears throat> Think of the number of people God has brought across our path only to see us drop them. When we pray on the basis of redemption, God creates something he can create in no other way than through intercessory prayer. And then I found this other quote I'm pretty sure is from Oswald Chambers. It says, when God gives us discernment into the struggles of others, it is not a free pass to criticize or pass judgment, but an invitation to intercede. So I thought this was so cool. It's intercession, not intrusion. It's constantly bringing the situation of this person before God and interceding on their behalf. Any comments on that before I tell my story? You know how, how I like to tell stories. I would encourage you to go to that utmost.com website. It's got some really great um, excerpts. Did you raise your hand? <coughs> I did. When I heard of that, of course, too often we make it about ourselves instead of about God. Yes. And, and that kind of popped up to me. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a beautiful description. Because you thought to me that um, intercession is not interference. Right. Uh, it's not intrusion. intrusion. It's intercession. Yeah. Intrusion. Yes. And uh, uh, intercession keeps us in a more passive mode. Uh, intrusion, we're pretty active. We don't need the help to fix it up. <laughs> well, I think the intrusion, it, the, the passing judgment and the being critical comes into play if, yeah. if it's intrusion. Yeah. It's, it's not being nosy, just, you know, so I think sometimes we mistake prayer requests. You know, I have a prayer request for this person for, I'm just being nosy, I want you to know what I know, you know? You know? <laughs> yeah, Did you have yeah. something you were going to say? Well, as you were reading that uh, bit from Chambers, um, I was thinking, this is kind of a unique uh, gift in that it's also very much a spiritual discipline. And most of the gifts we're going to look at are not disciplines of and in themselves. But intercessory prayer is very much a discipline that you can engage in. So. I would say that this one, even though it happens that most of us, myself included, didn't rank highly on, on this giftedness, it is still a discipline that you can participate in even if, you, if, even if it doesn't come naturally. Right. A lot of disciplines don't come naturally and you have to discipline yourself to do them. And this is one of those instances. Speaking of which. Yeah. So anyway. You yeah. Know, yeah. Sure. Well, before I do that, if, what did I read about the... Um, God gives us discernment into the struggles of others. I think that's where this, the spiritually sensitive, comes in. So I thought that went a long way off. Okay, my story is, and I, I struggled with whether or not to, to tell you this, so Brittany may want to delete this part out of the recording. Did you hear me? Um, but I talked with some wise counselors and my husband, and they both encouraged me to share it. So about 20 years ago, Otter Creek had a mentor, mentoree program, and we may have it now. I'm not, I'm not sure. They may have revitalized that. 
But many of you know Dale Wilcher. She's one of our elders' wives here. Dale Wilcher was my mentor, and I was the mentoree. And we got together one time and decided we would start praying together. Not necessarily together, but praying for, for other people who were struggling, going through chemotherapy or having major surgery. And the, the method by which we did that was we combined a split spiritual discipline with a spiritual gift. So on the day of the surgery or the chemotherapy or the marital counseling, whatever, we would fast. And we did it different ways, but it, what worked best for us was to begin our fast after dinner the night before and break it the next night. And the only people we told were the people for whom we were praying for. So it was me, her, God, and that person, and they could choose to tell who they, they wanted. But uh, of course, when you fast, you get hungry. That's, that's the point. <laughs> so throughout our day, our stomach would start growling. We'd pray. Throughout the day, I'd think, oh, I haven't eaten lunch. Oh, I'm not supposed to eat lunch. I would pray. So it was this constant communication with God pretty much all day, because pretty much got hungry all day. And the same with her. And I can't tell you how many people would, those that we were praying for would tell us they would wake up from their surgery and they just had this overwhelming sense of peace. They felt God's presence. Granted, we weren't the only people praying for them. Lots of people were praying for them. But they knew that we were, because we told them we were. The first week I shared with you all about my saying yes to teaching on Wednesday night with my friend Kim Woods and how that's given us opportunities for ministry. And this has been one of those ministries. She's joined us, so there's three of us doing this now. And we've done this several times recently. There's been so many people that we know well that have, have had major surgery, started chemotherapy, what have you. That, that we have prayed for in this way. And it's not only meaningful to them, it's been so meaningful to us. And for me, it's helped with this spiritual gift of, that I scored second on. But um, it's just, it's really a spiritual experience. So I would encourage you to take the inventory, see if, if you did score high on that. If not, if you didn't score high on it, maybe even try this. Uh, it's just, it's extremely meaningful. So that's my story. All right. I, I'd be curious if anybody has had an experience of being on the other end of the intercessory prayer. If, if you've ever been sick or had surgery and you know that people are praying on your behalf and what effect that might have had. Maybe that, maybe none of us have experienced that. But. I think if any of us have a parent, we know Yeah, that that's a great part. point. Well, I'll be praying a lot this week. My son leaves for Chile Thursday for three months. <laughs> so I've been, I've been praying for that for, for a while. Just, you know, another country. 
It's a little, little scary. I feel like he's going to be kept safe. The people down there have been there forever. And they even sent us an email just reassuring parents that they were going to be watching out for them. But it's made me feel, feel better. But still, I'll be spending a lot of time in prayer this week. All right, you're okay. on. We're going to switch gears a little bit. I'm just going to stand over here so I can work this. Um, so that's intercession. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and give a homework, a homework assignment for the week. We're talking about intercession, and then uh, now we're going to look at shepherding, the gift of shepherding. And so uh, I'm going to give you a homework assignment that even if you don't, if you took the assessment and didn't rank super high in either of these, um, to find out or be thinking about um, maybe ways you could employ those gifts, even if they're not high on your gift scale. And then, because next week in class, we're going to talk about some specific applications of, the, of these gifts. So be thinking about how you might be specifically applying uh, these gifts. Okay, uh, let's talk a little bit about shepherding. Um, did anybody, do you remember if you scored high on the assessment? By the way, if you haven't taken the assessment, um, you can give me your email address at the end of class. We'll, we send out weekly emails, and I'll, I'll put that assessment on there. But it's just a about a five-minute assessment you take, and then it kind of gives you your ranking of spiritual gifts. Does anybody remember if they ranked high on shepherds? When we say high, what, what well, you know, above middle ground. <laughs> I don't know. It's subjective. Okay. All right. A, ha- a handful. Okay. I, I think I ranked, this wasn't in my top three, but it was up towards, towards the top. I, I was too, a little bit. I, f- I feel like I shepherd well, but... Um, Okay, so a couple of, I want to say one thing right at the beginning. Shepherd is so loaded for us within Churches of Christ because we automatically equate that to elders, which is true. And, you know, we're just right now in this uh, elder selection process, shepherd selection process, so we're adding some shepherds right now. So that's very true, and it is true that those men that we're appointing to shepherds, we want to have this gift. This is the primary gift. However, they are... um, I don't know, what's the opposite of mutually exclusive? Not wholly contained, I'm not saying that very well, but you can very much be a shepherd without being appointed as an elder for a local church body. Does that make sense? Um, So even though none of us in this room are shepherds at Otter Creek, we can all still very much shepherd others, okay? All right, here's a few of my favorite shepherds. Does anybody know this character? Who's this? Yeah, Shepherd Book from the series Firefly, which I think is on Netflix. Uh, it was a sci-fi sh- series in, I don't know, late 90s, early 2000s that was canceled way too early, and the fan base out there is much chagrin about that. But Shepherd Book, he was a great guy. Um, the, there was this little band of travelers on a, on a spaceship that would you know fly around the galaxy and take different missions. He was kind of the chaplain on board and was the conscient, conscious for the group and um, would hold people to account and you know kind of the moral upstanding citizen amongst a bunch uh, always had a good word from uh, shepherd book um, this, this guy is a great shepherd I wanted to get a video clip I couldn't find a good video clip of babe the pig if you haven't seen that movie that's a great movie uh, babe the pig is um, raised on a farm realizes Thanksgiving is coming and he's going to be the ham and so decides well I need to figure out a way that I can be useful to the farmer 
And so he decides, well, I, he sees the sheepdogs out, you know, pinning the sheep and shepherding the sheep. And he says, well, I can, I can do that. So he goes on a little adventure and learns how to, uh, to shepherd the sheep, quite literally. So he's a shepherd pig. Um, this is one of my favorite shepherds. Does anybody, that's just a quick snapshot, kind of hard to recognize. Anybody recognize that? What? Is that yeah, from Les Mis. This is the priest from Les Mis. This is um, the Liam Neeson movie version. So this is Les Mis, uh, uh, Liam Neeson as Jean Valjean. However, this guy, this actor, was the original uh, Jean Valjean on, on Broadway. And then he got this little small kind of, more than a cameo, but small role in the, in the movie, which is really cool. And in fact, when, you, when he sings in the movie, you can, you can kind of hear that he sounds, I mean, he sounds like John Valjean, older, but, but all that aside, uh, the priest in the story of Les Mis, if you don't know the story, Jean Valjean has been imprisoned uh, for 17, 19 years, something like that, a long time, for stealing a loaf of bread. So there's all kinds of questions about justice. Um, Jean Valjean finally gets out of prison and is given, you know, kind of his first night out of jail is wandering and has nowhere to go, and the priest invites him in and says, you, you rest here, you'll take respite on your journey. Well, during the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and steals all the silver from the priest's house, you know, the candle, uh, no, steals all the silver off the table and heads out of town in the night. And local guards find him, beat him, and drag him back to the priest's house so that they can convict him. And the priest says, you left and you forgot the candlesticks. And so he gets the candlesticks and gives him the candlesticks and blesses him and sends him on his way. And so very much he is shepherding this guy. You know, he, he doesn't know him very well, but he's showing him kindness. He's setting up a trajectory, a new trajectory in, in Jean Valjean's life, which then unfolds throughout the film. But it's very much a shepherding moment, even though there's no long-term relationship. All right, hopefully we all recognize Gandalf, the good shepherd. Um, and you can see Gandalf leading his band of merry men and elves and dwarves on their, on their journey. I probably don't need to say a whole lot about that. We're probably familiar with that. Gandalf is the, is the wizard, but he's always kind of the, the vision caster and keeps everybody on mission and, and helps guide and lead. And interestingly, he's not always in the front. In fact, sometimes he's absent to try to let these guys go on their own and then shows up from the east on the third day with the light and is able to conquer the army. But um, he has an important shepherding role. Okay, so those are some famous shepherds just to kind of get you thinking about what shepherding looks like. But you don't have to be Gandalf. You don't have to be the, the priest from Les Mis. These are huge characters, right? In everyday life, there are ways to shepherd others. Um, and so I'm going to show a little video clip of a story. You, you may have seen this. This was kind of a viral story of a high school girl. Um, we have a remarkable video this morning of a selfless act of good sportsmanship. It focuses on two girls at a championship high school track meet in Ohio. You see them there, and Josh loved this story. You can't help but watch it over and over and over again, because usually, let's face it, the winners of races get all the attention, but not this time. It was two girls bringing up the back of the pack who are in the spotlight today, and rightfully so. Here's why. On the track, it is inarguably the fastest runner who wins the race. 
But for Megan Vogel, it was finishing last that made all the difference. The 17-year-old was competing at her high school state championships and had already won her first race of the day. But in the second race and longer distance, Megan struggled. Going to the third lap, I started falling behind. And as Megan slipped to the back of the pack, another runner, Arden McMath, was also having a tough go. I was kind of blacking out in the last 15 years. My lungs completely gave out. But instead of passing Arden, Megan took her in her arms, propping her up when all hope seemed lost. And then... <laughs> the two opponents crossed the finish line together. I was kind of just thinking that I wanted to get her to the finish line. I was more worried about getting Arden across the line than what place I was in. It was amazing. It was a moving experience. I definitely didn't expect that. Sentiments echoed by the thousands and thousands who have viewed video of the race online. This is a true hero, one wrote. Another suggesting we should all take a page out of her book. But for Megan's coach, her on-track heroics didn't come as much of a surprise. That's because Megan's coach is also Megan's mom. She has a big heart and, you know, everyone has a light in them and I think Megan's light just was able to shine a little brighter. I Pretty much credit my parents. They're the ones that taught me to always do the right thing. Modesty from a girl who, no matter the record books, should always be remembered as the very best comp of change. It's girls like that who make you think the future won't be such a bad place ever. Okay. Um, all right. So what a great story. You may have seen that before. Um, one thing that they stated incorrectly is that they said that they crossed the finish line together. And they didn't cross the finish line together. Did you notice that? That when they approach the finish line, she takes her shepherd E off of her shoulder and pushes her across first. And there's something significant in that, I think. Uh, shepherding isn't always done from out front. Sometimes you have to be behind with your arms through under, under their arms and, and shove them forward, give them a good push. That's a lot like the parenting thing. You know, that, I'm kind of in that transition now. I have a 16-year-old, and so we're really ratcheting up the level of independence uh, for him. Whether he wants it or not, it's happening. <laughs> and so sometimes we kind of feel like, you know, we've been out in front as parents this whole 16 years, and we're, now we're bringing him alongside and even kind of kicking him out front I had to add the front part. So we're not just kicking him out, we're kicking him out front. No, but that, yeah, that, that's in a couple more years, we're kicking him out. But that's intentional. Um, we, we want him to grow um, and mature, and so we're trying to shepherd him uh, a little bit. And so we're, trying to, we're changing strategies a little bit with him now, um, just because that's where we are. Okay, let's look at just a, a definition. I really like, this is not my definition, but I really like this definition. Uh, the gift of shepherding is the God-given ability to assume long-term personal responsibility for the spiritual welfare of an individual or small group of Christ followers by nurturing and guiding them toward ongoing spiritual maturity. Um, the long-term word there is really an essential ingredient, I think. I think shepherding comes out of relationships, and there is no substitution for time. There's just no way around that. Uh, as much time as I can invest into someone's life, that's the amount of credibility uh, I have and ability to shepherd that person. And so um, kind of as a counterexample there, you know, the girls on the track obviously didn't have a relationship. They didn't have that long term. So in that regard, it's not really shepherding. 
Uh, but the analogy stands, I think, that um, she is you know, helping someone along, blazing a trail for someone. Um, obviously, you have to have that, that level of personal responsibility. Um, it, can, it can happen. It doesn't have to be, again, it doesn't have to be a whole church that you're shepherding. Uh, it doesn't have, it can be a small group. It doesn't even have to be a small group. It can be one-on-one kind of relationship, like uh, with, with Dell and Deanna. That was a little bit of a, of a shepherding relationship there, I think. Um, and then, again, as, as I've said, this is something that you're, you're guiding them toward um, some ultimate goal. And in this case, we're talking about spiritual maturity. So that's, that's kind of how a, how a shepherd uh, shepherds. Any comments? I'm talking a lot. Feel free to jump in. Um, let's look at a couple of texts real quick. <clears throat> uh, we're not going to even look at these first three. Ephesians 4 um, is the, uh, the, the body analogy that, that uh, Paul is using. And then 1 Peter and 1 Timothy kind of look at some specific shepherding. That, that really goes more towards the eldering part that we've talked a lot about as a church over the last few weeks. So I'm going to skip those. But if you look down to Exodus 14, we'll look at that story real quick. Uh, does someone want to read Exodus 14, verses 5 through 14? That's a little bit of a chunk. Anybody got that? I take part of it. Okay. Uh, when the king of Egypt was told the people who fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people. And they said, what is, it, what is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made his chariot ready and took these people with him. And he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots out of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. And the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they were over, and they overtook them camping by the sea. Beside, wherever, <laughs> in front of Belzeon. I'll, I'll catch him that first. That's so fine. Pick up 10. Sure. Verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never see you again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It's oh, a great line. Good, thanks. So a couple of things. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when Babe the pig was trying to get the sheep into the pen, the sheep didn't want to go. And there was initially some conflict, and the sheep weren't cooperative. And that is the nature of shepherding. Sometimes those who need shepherding don't recognize that they need shepherding. Sometimes they don't want it. Sometimes they're just not agreeable. Uh, sometimes they complain. Weren't there graves back in Egypt? Why do we have to walk all the way out here to die? You know? um, but Moses uh, is an encur- takes, takes the role of being an encourager. So not only is he leading the people out of out of slavery, uh, and little do they know, they're only starting to embark on this long journey um, for which Moses will shepherd them. 
But he gives them courage. He says, you know, don't fear. All you have to do is stand still. The Lord's got this. And that is, is the role of a shepherd. The shepherd doesn't have to do everything. The shepherd needs to kind of stand in the gap, stand in the middle and say, keep, keep your eye on the prize here. God's, God's got this. Um, so that, that's kind of uh, an important aspect of shepherding. Okay, and then uh, also real quickly, 1 Samuel 12, 1 through 7. I won't read all of this, but um, after David has uh, had his affair with uh, Bathsheba, he's killed her husband Uriah. Um, do you remember the prophet that comes to David? Nathan, right? And uh, Nathan tells David this little story. He says, um, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb uh, he had bought. He raised it, and, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had, who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Right? He's telling this story. Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I read the right passage. You yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so my point is, um, which, by the way, is a great VeggieTales scene if you haven't seen the VeggieTales. Um, sometimes the shepherd has to have a little bit of a prophetic voice, too, as Nathan is coming as a prophet to David. Sometimes the shepherd, in order to get uh, the person right on the right track, has to have um, a, a confrontational voice. And so that, that's an element of, sh- of shepherding, too, just to be able to speak truth uh, in love, but to be able to speak truth to people. And it's a little bit ironic that, you know, when we think of Old Testament shepherds, David is at the top of the list. He's a literal shepherd growing up and then becomes a shepherd of all of Israel. And even in that role, still needs Nathan to come and shepherd him. So, um, okay, we'll uh, wrap up here. Uh, some quick characteristics of shepherding. You have to have a nurturing spirit. Um, you have to be able to guide. And th- not only to uh, know the way, like if you've ever been on a hike and you have to rely on the park ranger to kind of tell you where to go and be your guide. First of all, someone has traveled that trail already. That's why it's a trail. It's been blazed already. But then you kind of need a guide. And sometimes the guide, uh, like Moses, you just have to give courage. So you have to be able to uh, know your way so that you can encourage others. Um, obviously, just coming alongside people and being supportive, rela- being relational is key. Again, if you don't have a relationship, it's hard to shepherd because you don't have that trust built up um, and then just having uh, some influence. And so practically speaking, those gift, this gift of shepherding plays out as a small group leader, like in our life groups here at Otter Creek. Uh, you could be a youth leader in a, in a small group of, of youth, obviously being a shepherd or elder, being a teacher. Um, being a mentor, like Deanna was talking about, those are ways that this gift plays out. Okay. Any thoughts, comments? Yeah? Just one. Uh, I don't know how the 
always fit to where it fits in, but you have to believe what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And that was brought out in the Moses passage yeah. because he said, be calm and, and yeah. believe that this is going to happen. Right. The Lord's going to take care of us. Yeah. I don't know how where that actually fits yeah. in, but you have to believe you're right. that, that you know, you're, you're doing the right thing, right. and they are too. Yeah, you have to have confidence and faith. You can't instill faith in someone else without right. having the faith to begin with. Absolutely, that's true. All right, well, next week we are going to still be talking about these two gifts, but we're going to have some guests to talk about Otter Creek Ministries that employ these gifts. So, again, your homework is to go think about how, even if these gifts don't ring real true for you or you know, don't get you excited, um, let's come back with some practical ways we can talk about how to use uh, intercession for others and shepherding of others uh, in our own journeys. All right? I, I do know that John and Lynn Mott will be here next week, mm -hmm. and Lynn is, the, is over our prayer warrior ministry here, and you really need to hear them talk. They have an incredible prayer life. They've spoken to our youth group a couple years ago on prayer, and they're just a sweet, sweet couple who have been doing this whole prayer thing a long time. They do it really well. Yeah, and then yeah. there'll be some life group leaders, which yeah. we're not sure about. We, we have a long list of people to bring in over the yeah. course of the course. But next week will be a highlight of the entire semester. John and Lynn are gems here on Creek for sure. Mm -hmm. so. All right. Thanks Here's for coming. Here's some paper if you want to yeah. put your email address. If, if we need to get your email address, come share that with us. <laughs> yep, that was fine.